Hey y'all, it's Dr. Samina Rahman, gyno girl. I'm a board certified gynecologist, a clinical assistant professor of OBGYN at Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine, and owner of a private practice for almost a decade that specializes in menopause and sexual medicine. I'm a South Asian American Muslim woman who is here to empower, educate, and help you advocate for health issues that have been stigmatized, shamed, and perhaps even prevented you from living your best life. I'm better than your best girlfriend and more open than most of your doctors. I'm here to educate so you can advocate. Welcome to Gyno Girl Presents Sex, Drugs, and Hormones. Let's go. You guys, I just did an amazing, amazing podcast with April Patterson, a friend of mine who's a um, pelvic floor physical therapist that specializes in pelvic floor PT, especially for patients that have persistent genital arousal disorder. Um, And she talks about her journey with PGAD and also talks about um, her treatment strategies um, as a therapist. And so uh, you guys are going to really enjoy this one. Um, I hope you enjoy it and and learn something about how, and I hope you learn something about how to advocate for yourself through this educational journey. Hey, y'all, it's me, Dr. Samina Rahman, Gyno Girl, back for another episode of Gyno Girl Presents Sex, Drugs, and Hormones. I am super, super excited today. I have a friend of mine here on the um, show who uh, we befriended many years ago um, at Ishwish, the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, which you hear me talk about all the time. But um, we're going to today talk about persistent genital arousal disorder and, you know, what that is and, um, you know, the we're going to learn about um, April's story. So today I have April Patterson. She is the owner of Whole Body Physical Therapy in Studio City, California, which is a private practice that specializes in pelvic health physical therapy for all sexes and genders and gender identities. She has been a physical therapist for 20 years, practicing in orthopedics and sports medicine for the first nine of her career. And then she shifted into pelvic health 11 years ago after the birth of her second child. Her passion for pelvic health began long before that through her own journey in healing and managing persistent genital arousal disorder or genital pelvic dysthesia symptoms. Uh, She was symptomatic for 13 years before she underwent spinal surgery in 2017, um, which set her on the path of permanent resolution of her symptoms. Um, she is a member and expert on the Ishwish Consensus Panel for PCAD and co-authored the Ishwish Process of Care paper for the management of persistent genital arousal disorder and genital pelvic dysesthesia. I use this um, every day when I see my PCAD patients. I show them this, actually. <laughs> I show them the process of care. Um, she's pas- passionate. She's extremely passionate about pelvic floor therapy, but also um, about PCAD. And so um, this is really an amazing opportunity for us to learn not only more about PGAD, but about specific journeys so that we can all learn how to advocate for ourselves like she did. Thank you, April. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. So I just want to first explain, um, you know, a little bit about what persistent genital arousal disorder for the for the listeners who actually are not familiar with it. And just in general, it's considered a condition where you have an unrelented sort of remitting sensation in the genital pelvic region. And it's associated and it's potentially these feelings of arousal without thinking about sex or wanting to have sex. And so it's associated with significant psychosocial impact on on patients' lives. I know from the patients that I've treated, there have been patients that have been suicidal with this, that have been dealing with it their whole life. 
It's an extremely misunderstood and understudied, just like most of sexual health. I think the first case was reported in 2001. And really, um, we've now we have a process of care of how to treat patients for this. And I'm going to let April get into this a little more detail. But essentially, we do it based on the regions that we think are most contributing to this neuropathic pain syndrome for the most part. And we're looking at either the end organ, which is considered region one, and that could be your clitoris, that could be your vulva, that could be your vest- vulvar vestibule, that can be you know your bladder. And then it could be related to vestibulodynia, it could be related to vulvar dermatoses, it could be related to clitoral pain and adhesions. And then the region two, which is the pelvic floor and the importance of that musculature. Region three is considered the cauda equina, which is the convergence of all your spinal nerves at the end of your backbone, the end of your vertebrae. And then region four is considered the lumbar sacral area. So your spinal cord, again, a little bit above the cauda equina. And then region five is your brain. So if the signal is believed to be coming from the brain. So these unrelenting feelings can come from any of those. It can come from the nerve endings. It can come from the nerve roots or it can come from the brain. Remember your spinal, Your we talked about this in um, the podcast about clitoral pain, but obviously, you know, remembering that our central nervous system is composed of both our brain and our um, spinal cord. So these uh, areas communicate with each other. They send signals down the spine to your peripheral organs, to your end organs, and this is how our nervous system communicates. And sometimes when it um, goes a little out of whack, it can create very distressing symptoms, whether or not it's just regular pain, whether or not it's uh, burning, whether or not it's symptoms in the area where you have erogenous tissue. And that's what we're going to discuss. So April, I actually met April for the first time at Ishwish, and I think I remember hearing her compelling story when the link between the spine and, you know, I was, I like to say I was always almost in the room where it happened, but (laughs) I wasn't in the room where it originally happened, which is where like, but I I was almost in the room where it happened because I heard, you know, her tell her her testimony to um, the international study of the women, a study of women's sexual health, and all the providers that came from all over the country and the world. And so um, she was very brave. My first podcast, I asked, you know, am I brave or am I shameless for doing this podcast? (laughs) But I might be shameless, but you're definitely brave. So I appreciate you coming um, on the show. And then, you know, please tell us how how you knew you you, something was wrong, you know, when it came about and sort of your journey into into self-advocacy. Thank you. Thanks so much for saying that. I um, well, I my overall, it was really an orthopedic injury that eventually reared its ugly head and like progressed into something where most of my symptoms were in my pelvis. I'd say well, I, I was a college soccer player um, and, I, you know, I wasn't. That's amazing. Tell me what your what your what was your role in soccer? Um, I was a left so, defender, position. left back. Um, oh, I also was a figure nice. skater growing up. So I had yes. back pain most of my life. Like, I, you know, I put my back in pretty extreme positions Um and I think just the mentality of that of an athlete, um, especially back in like the early mid '90s, like you just went back out there. So I was always, mm. you know, playing hurt. It, it wasn't, um, and I, I was cleared by my athletic trainers. Um, you know, I had they diagnosed me with SI joint dysfunction. All my symptoms were always on my left side. It was like it was very eerie eventually when things progressed so much because it was like one half of my body was completely different than the other side of my body. And it was just very mm-hmm. strange. Um, but that's what I knew. And and I'd say 
I started having persistent general arousal symptoms. It wasn't distressing yet where I would say it was a disorder. Um, I just noticed sitting in class in college, like it would take a certain amount of time. Like if I were studying in the library after, you know, a couple hours, I'd be like, oh, oh, what like is that? Like, what is that? It it, it, it didn't yeah. distress yeah. me. I was like, maybe I'm bored. Yeah. I'm like daydreaming yeah. or didn't. I, I would walk, I'd leave, I'd be gone. And at the time, um, I was dating, um, he's now my husband. And when we would have intercourse, like, I'm just going to go right there right now. Um, we would have intercourse. <laughs> and from deeper positions, it would cause this like pain in really deep, like in my left, I call it like my left corner pocket back then. Like it felt like mm-hmm. I was getting socked like in my spine oh, yeah. and it felt like uh-huh. eventually like he was hitting my sciatic nerve and I would start to get leg pain and I'd start to get oh, like a burning, but like deep nerve pain in my vagina. And eventually it would just like go away. And fast mm-hmm. forward, you know, and, and, and I would sort of like clench around that. And so, and, you know, we, we communicated, but I was like 21 years old, you know, and I mean, you don't really know mm-hmm. at that point. And, um, you know, the PGAD wasn't even mentioned yet in the literature. Like there was really nowhere for me mm-hmm. to go. And there's no one I told about that. I didn't even know sure. anything about that. So, right. And then by 2008, I was an ortho PT and I'd run on my lunch breaks. And all of a sudden on my runs, I would get this same burning vaginal pain. And I was like, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. Like something's wrong here because yeah. why yeah. would I feel my sex symptoms when I'm running? And that already right. is like, it's not coming from your vagina. <laughs> like it's, you know, maybe there's a polyfloor problem. The forces change when you work, like when you work out, things change. Yeah. Um, I wasn't familiar with pelvic floor physical therapy. It definitely piqued my interest of like, how am I going to fix myself? Like, how am I going to, who am I going to go to about this? So my coworker's wife yeah. um, was a pelvic floor physical therapist. So I started going to her. Um, and then eventually um, I found someone who was like my person who really worked with me through some of my worst years and she could sort of get Mm -hmm. me back to like what a baseline was. So I was functional, um, through my pregnancies. Mm -hmm. And I mean, those were really hard, especially my second pregnancy. And as you know, after you have a baby, it's like, I mean, I had no core left. Like my spine was, it it just, I, I think that was like the nail in the coffin, so to speak. That's the second caring of the baby, just like my spine just never really recovered after that. And my symptoms at that point, postpartum, I, and and again, this was slow. Like this took time. Like I had, I had left hip pain burning in my Mm -hmm. hip. Oh, you have piriformis syndrome. Mm -hmm. I don't have piriformis syndrome. Like I had things that, I mean, nothing, I never really fit into any box. I thought maybe my skating, the way I was one-sided and always tilt, like maybe I actually did have a pudendal nerve entrapment, but the amount of different nerve sensations that I had pretty much all the time and that at a lower level that once I sat down would just shoot through my body. Oh, I had the mm-hmm. PG, you know, the persistent arousal. I had shooting into my hip, which felt like was going to the spot in my vagina, stabbing in my rectum. Eventually I was getting twitches. Like it just would, it, 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 you know, mm-hmm. it was a neuromuscular problem. I was getting fasciculations yeah. in my pelvic floor in my rectum. And over time, I, you know, I sort of learned little tips and tricks to keep me functional and get through my day. 
But by Mm -hmm. the end, I mean, nothing could touch my pelvis. I was so sensitized. If anything, like Mm -hmm. anything just sat on me, it would just immediately shoot. And it was like the whole nerve pathway. Like If you go look at the anatomy from, I had an L4 or 5 disc surgery. If you look from there down, it was everything. It was my clunial nerves. It was everything. Like this is not pudendal neuralgia. And so I didn't tell anybody. I didn't, my husband knew somewhat, but yeah. I didn't ever go see a professional at that point. I didn't tell my gynecologist who delivered my baby. Like, yeah. I didn't know. I think being on the other side of things, I thought they would tell me you're crazy. They would look at me mm-hmm. like I. Um, and many of them say that to And the they do. You know? And I know that. Yeah. I see people with pelvic pain and I'm like, ah, oh, like I, I don't want to be in the other end. I was highly anxious and, and I, I. I, that would have been devastating to me. So I just avoided it altogether. I don't recommend mm-hmm. that, but I do think at the time mm-hmm. I really didn't have an option. Like I didn't have, right. there really wasn't anyone who, you know, was doing this research. Like it, it was not as well known as it is now and it's still not well known. So right, I didn't want to be the crazy one. I didn't want to be the crazy patient. I didn't want them. And, and you know, and I had to towards the end when I finally started getting help, I had to go get an x-ray of my spine. How was I going to get that approved? I had to be honest. I had to be vulnerable. I had to tell. I sat in a room with these like, you know, intake sporty looking people and they were like, okay, where's your pain? And we looked at the dermatome diagram and I pointed to like S3, S4, S2. And they were like, that doesn't make any sense. Like you don't make sense. And everyone would tell me that. And then the doctor would be like, I think this is from when you delivered your baby. And I'm like, I had two C-sections. Like Mm, um, you didn't even have labor. I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't tear. I didn't, it's not, no. And, and they were just, "Mm," and they sort of just looked at me and this was a place I took my kids to. That's where they had their sports injury, you know? And, and I was like, I just need that. Just give me the MRI. (laughs) Because The, you know, at Let night, me just a pocket at this point. Give me the MRI, right? And so, <laughs> and, so and, and and that was when I really, you know, we got the ball rolling. But before that, but before that, I'd say when I was at my like worst. Yeah. What was your tipping point? Because obviously you'd been struggling for a while. Yeah. You found ways to kind of deal with it. You know, maybe arousal got better sometimes with sex. Maybe it didn't. Mm-hmm. But everyone has a tipping point yeah. at some point, right? Like that they'll feel right. like. And I think I think what's interesting is you and, you and I are both in the medical profession. We both had issues. And I talked about vaginismus for myself. But it is this whole like idea that, you know, how are we going to present ourselves to somebody, you know? And it's this idea of like, oh, yeah, are they going to be like, what's wrong with, you know, this other medical professional? You know, you, yeah. you don't you feel like. I don't know. You, you you try not to make yourself that vulnerable, I, I guess. I, I felt like I didn't have a voice. Like I couldn't speak yeah. up. I felt like I couldn't speak. And so I just stayed quiet. And a lot of right. this was really through my healing when I did get the care I needed and I did, you know, find solutions. It was it was very emotional and it was very, um, oh, yeah, I, I evolved as a person through all of this because I came out the other side, but also I had to learn to create like I was just so used to just putting up and being in pain. And, you know, I had to make, in order to heal well, I had to put myself first a lot. I had to, you know, I have two little kids. I had to really create the boundaries for my health and healing, which I think too, you know, even with our own patients, like 
Like you, you just want to be the person you were. You want to be that, like, like I, you know, I used to do everything and now I can't. And who am I? And who am I? And it doesn't mean I won't get back there, but, um, I really struggled with like, just when, when things were bad, when I was at that tipping point, who am I? Like, I don't know my role anymore in society. I'm a mom. I can't pick up my kids. I can't sit on the floor with them. I have to say, oh, mommy's mm-hmm. back hurts all the time. When is mommy's back going to mm-hmm. get better? It was very emotional. Um, and, you know, even just within the marriage, um, in my relationship, um, I am a doer. I could go, 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 push, 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 push isn't great. Push is not good for you. Push is balance is, is really no. what we should be striving for. Yes. But I had to really reprogram what, like, this is what I need. And these are the things I need. And, and how are we, how am I going to change my life and my lifestyle so that I can get better? Because it's not a quick fix. Surgery was Amazing. Mm-hmm. Without it, I, I, I would not be better. I would not be better. I needed that right. surgery, and thank God I had that surgery. Right. Like, but I had to really, I really had to reevaluate my entire life and how I was living, mm-hmm. and make it so I could heal optimally and just take care of myself in in every aspect. And really, that's yeah. how I was there for my kids and my family in the long run. So. Amazing. Sorry that you struggle like that, but this is actually a very common. Unfortunately, we yeah. see the patients like yeah. this all the time, right? Yeah. That are trying to do everything for everyone, but then at the end of the day, they they can't make time to take care of themselves. And then eventually, everyone hits a tipping point. Like, yeah. all right, if I don't do this, then no one in this word word whole like, sphere I'm in are going to be able to function, right? Exactly. So, remember, what was your tipping? I remember point? being so sad, like just so. I don't know what I'm going to do from here. I am becoming disabled. Right. Yeah, and this yeah. isn't who I am. This has never been me. Um, so tipping point. I mean, the the pain was atrocious. The arousal mm-hmm. was atrocious. So the the way it feels, at least for me, I know it's a little bit different with everyone. Like some people have an orgasm, they'll get a little bit of temporary relief, and then it comes back. Mm-hmm. Every time I sat down, which is you know similar to like they say, oh, that's similar to pudendal neuralgia too. When you sit, right. pain was sitting. Right. Yeah. It's one sided. But mine was my entire leg and like sciatica would go numb. And then I think I said I had many different nerve pathways that felt like like many peripheral nerves were affected, even though it was coming from upstream. So, but the orgasm piece, you know, it went from like, it used to take me, remember in like 2013, when I started like, I had had my second kid, I started like driving further and after, and then I, I was working about a 40 minute drive from where I dropped off my first son mm-hmm. to preschool. And that drive to Santa Monica was brutal. Every single time I drove mm-hmm. to work, I, after about 20 minutes, that was sort of when things really kicked in. Mm-hmm. I would start having the throbbing, the throbbing pain in my genitals. Like mm-hmm. I'm like I'm building up to an orgasm. And I and I would eventually, like if I had to, if it were an hour, I would have to pull over. I would be having these involuntary contractions that would lead to orgasm. And like this is not, mm-hmm. I, I'm just trying to drive to work. Like, and it hurt. Yeah. It's it's never pleasantly. It's, it's like the 405 shouldn't make anyone orgasm. Yeah, I know. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm like exit now, like drive someplace four or five. That's like maybe no one can see. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, and, and, and then right. I'd walk, I'd park and I'd walk to work and my leg would be like uh-huh. throbbing to my genitals. And then by the time oh, wow. I walked mm-hmm. for about like 10 minutes, I'd walk from my car to work. Mm-hmm. 
I was okay again. Like not okay, but I was at my baseline again where I could do my mm-hmm. job. And so that's sort of how the org and and then, you know, with my partner, though that position that originally started the sciatica, that became an a, a no a no gamer like between even my pregnancies, like there was, there was no rear entry, no deep, nothing Mm -hmm. of that sort, Mm -hmm. or I would be in tears and it would make my symptoms worse. So, so our sex life definitely evolved over time to like, we can't do this. We can't do this. Um, we can do it this way. This is, um, something I can do, but even just with like self-stimulation, masturbation, like I used to be able to have, a little bit of relief and then it would come back. Mm-hmm. But like now mm-hmm. I almost couldn't peak and climax. Like I almost couldn't climax. It was almost mm-hmm. like I became, even though I was hyper, I was hyper mm-hmm. aroused. I, mm-hmm. my, my motor function had changed. Like my actual orgasm had changed yeah. and it was dull. Yeah. I mm-hmm. couldn't get over the hump. Like I just couldn't get there. It would take longer. It would hurt. And it was yeah. like, what do Ugh. I do? Okay. Like right. I, I was just in this in-between zone all the time. And then when I Mm -hmm. sat, it was just like blew up. So by the time I was, that wasn't even like really my rock bottom. (laughs) bottom That was getting there, right? The second I sat down in the car, my kids are in the backseat crying, like, you know, just like, let's go mom. And I'm like, "Eh." and like the second I sat down, it was just searing and it was, it was, you know, I was shifting to my side. I tried the donut cushions, like nothing. Yeah was enough. And then it's like, oh, mom can't drive us anymore. Oh, mm. I'm avoiding going to dinners. I'm avoiding being social. I'm avoiding mm-hmm. meeting with friends. I used to enjoy all the things we would do at our school. It was like, what time is that? Because by the end of the day, I was, it would be pretty bad. Yeah. By the end of the day, um, you know, and they'd run and jump up, up to me. And like, I used to be an active person that played with my kids. Yeah. It was like, I was a shell of myself. I was like, didn't yeah. know uh, so that was, I don't know what I'm going to do. Something has to change. Did you find yourself, did you find yourself catastrophic? Because I have a lot of patients who, you you know, either had anxiety that might have, you know, promoted this uh, or, you know, ex- contributed to this and then, or they develop anxiety because they catastrophize about this, is, especially if you've struggled yeah. so many years, you feel like this is never going to go away. Yeah. And I think that that then leads to, you know, more anxiety, more depression. And mm-hmm. that's why, unfortunately, there are PCAD victims who will actually, you know, attempt to take their life because they've yeah. been dealing with this for so long. And that's, yeah. that's some of the most compelling stories that we hear, I think, is that, you know, like, and, and what an amazing thing for patients when they see you. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. I, I was close. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely wasn't, I right. didn't have suicidal ideations. I didn't have anything like that. I just... I, I really started to feel like I, I knew I'm like, this yeah. is, this is only getting worse. I, I could always keep it yeah. where I was functional, but yeah. this is now gone over and I don't mm-hmm. know how I'm going to get back. And I had taken a trip around that time. It kind of crazy when I look back at it, like oh, I did a backpacking trip oh my God. and I, and I, and I, yeah. and I and with my husband and I bought a backpack and I remember going to REI and like was almost in tears. I probably seemed like such uh-huh. a BITCH. Uh-huh. Like they were like, what's wrong with that lady? Yeah. Cause I was nice about it, but I was like, I can't use any of these backpacks. Nothing could touch my pelvis, nothing. So I got a special order one that only oh, went to my thoracic yeah. spine and I would carry yeah. my stuff that way. 
And the flight back from Spain was the most, the, was the worst thing ever. And I, you know, I didn't have like business class. Mm-hmm. I was in like yeah. economy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that yeah. was sort of like the end. When I came home, that was September, that was October 2016. And then I want to say in February of 2017 is mm-hmm. really when my life changed. And there, I was part of a group called Pelvic Floor Sexual Medicine. Um, we haven't had mm-hmm. any of those meetings since the pandemic. But back then it was um, many of the physical therapists, pelvic therapists in Southern California. We'd meet with sexual medicine, doctors of San Diego Sexual Medicine, and we'd have different topics and we'd have speakers at topics. And yeah. um, it was just really fun, really way to like get together, network, and maybe learn something new. And um, a flyer went out, like a paper flyer, that that said neurogenic pelvic pain and I was like oh yeah. this is what I have this is the first thing this is this is me this is me I have to get down there oh but I can't drive two and a half hours from LA what am I going to do so my friend May who also was a pelvic PT mm-hmm. she's at Cedars she's like I'll drive you and I was like oh so I was the passenger and I was just yeah. like you know and I, and I got there and then I was like, I can't sit down. And I'm in the back and I'm fidgeting. Like, what shoes do I wear? I have to look professional. Yeah. This was at Dr. Goldstein's office or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we're speaking of Erwin Goldstein. He's um, the godfather of sexual medicine, as we always call him in Ishwish. He's actually one of the founding or the founding member of Ishwish, I think, the International Study for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. But So they, um, they had a room at Alvarado Hospital and Dr. Goldstein spoke. And they brought up uh-huh. the spine. So even though I hadn't really ever told anyone my story and I hadn't told any doctors about my story, yeah. I he I mean, I was so lucky because he was the first person who like was like, Oh yeah, I know that. I know exactly what you're talking about. So so I mean if anyone yeah. would know or it, it would be him. Mm-hmm. I am so lucky. I really feel like I feel like it was meant to be like, I'm here in this state. I'm not from California. I live here. I got the flyer. I could have not seen the flyer. It was a paper flyer I saw. Like it wasn't even an email back then. And, um, and so this was, this was 2017. I get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that point they've only, they'd only had a couple people who had actually yeah. had yeah. surgery yeah. and it was him and Chul Kim yeah. and they talked about it. And I was like, I know these nerve pathways. Like I did all this already, you know, and I'm learning it. And I'm like, this is me. This story is me. They had a, a someone in their office um, who also had PCAD who maybe found him for this reason, but she also had the surgery and I just connected. I went up to him at the end of the day and I tapped him on the shoulder and he, he he tells it to you. I tapped him on the shoulder. He turned around and I was like, I have this. I have PGAD and I think it's coming from my back and I'm going to call you tomorrow. And I did. I called him the next day. You want to let me come? But I didn't even think oh, of it. Yeah. Like, I do feel like yeah. I was constantly in a sympathetic state for at least two Survival. years before this. Like, mm. like I didn't even think of mm-hmm. that because I was just like trying Mm -hmm. to survive every day. I was trying to get through the day every day. Two little kids, responsibilities, Mm -hmm. a job, which I used to work four to five days a week. And I was down to one day a week at that point. I was working on Fridays and then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I would be recovering. Like what kind of life is that? I had no joy. I was just recovering to work one day. Like that is not living. And, and so here I was, I tap him on the shoulder. I call him the next day. 
we do our little 10 minute call. He schedules me. I go down there, have the okay. neurogenital testing. We call them. They sent me. They're like, you right. know, here. Yeah. I, I had the order for the MRI when you have to have the x-ray for insurance in order to get the MRI. So I went uh-huh. to this uh, physiatrist doctor, yeah. spine doctor that I knew that like, I had taken my kids to. I referred patients to. So again, it was yeah. that like really vulnerable state. And and I was really happy I got the PA who's a woman and she was the one that was like, isn't this from birth? And I was like, no, but mm-hmm. I was really embarrassed. And then I was like, I'm not, I don't care. I was like, it hurts in my butthole. It hurts here. It hurts here. It hurts. All. And they're like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. And they tell me it doesn't make any sense. And she's like, I thought your disc problems would be more like S1, S2. It's and she's like, <laughs> Believe your patients. <laughs> Yours is at L4. That, that's not the right dermatome. That doesn't make sense. And I'm like, well, it's happening. And um, this, this, is, this, is, this is, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and <laughs> it's happening. And uh, so I was like, I just need the MRI. So I got the MRI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They read the MRI. And I did have a pretty like significant, it just depends who you talk to. Like, you know, right. it's fine. It's like someone you can have you know, hundreds of patients who have terrible looking MRIs, but have no symptoms. Right. And then you have ones that just have like tiny yeah. little tears that are really yeah. symptomatic. And so I actually had a pretty good, like I had a lot of, I have, I have a lot of wear and tear arthritis type symptoms in my back. Like I have the arthropathy at my joints. I have, I have all that, but L4, 5, definitely a pretty big disc protrusion, like yeah. fecal sac. And yeah. Was there an annular tear? I can't remember. You know, it actually okay. said nothing looked affected on my nerve root, but um, it was. And um, definitely, you know, I did have an annular tear. I did have an annular tear. It wasn't like a, it didn't say the disc was impinging on the nerve root. So I did have an mm-hmm. annular tear. And, you know, that fluid, as you know, can just leak mm-hmm. into, leak in onto the caudal and You can get all kinds of symptoms. Like I also had bladder symptoms. That was like something else. Mm-hmm. Like I had urgency frequency pain that didn't start till after my second C-section. So I was like, is it my C-section scar? That's a done. My pelvic floor did sort of change, but I never really had like real mm-hmm. like pelvic floor dysfunction. I had areas in my vagina, like on my pelvic floor that maybe were more like connective tissue right. restrictions, but like tense, tight pelvic floor. I could contract, I could relax, I could lengthen. So um, just for the listeners, what, you know, when we think about our vertebrae and our spine, we have, you know, um, you know, your cervical spine, uh, which are the, which are the, you know, your backbone basically from, you know, the, from your neck down, then you have your thoracic spine, which is that middle portion. Then you have your lumbar, which is your lower back, and then you have your sacrum. So in between your vertebrae, which are your, is your backbone, you have a cushion, and that's what the disc is, right? When people say they slipped a disc or they herniated a disc, um, that means that at some point with some movement or some activity, you know, something happened that propelled the disc to move in one direction. And those nerves that they traverse through that canal, um, you know, into the foramen and all that stuff. And so you can get that. And then I think within mm-hmm. each disc, you have an annulus and um, a nucleus. And so if you have a tear within that, it can then um, your their cerebral spinal fluid can seep all the yeah. way down into the lower spine as well as like you said the cotoquina. So just for for listeners that maybe don't have um, too much background in the spine, um, which can be a lot of people because I don't think yeah. 
And I think there's more people like once the spine was really on my radar for this uh, potential symptoms of pudendal neuralgia and just like really any pain, like bladder pain, urethral stuff, like obviously you have you know, there could be mm-hmm. hormonal, it could be like you said, the end organ. Like I've had patients who have like four or five different yes. potential contributors and you just one. have to kind of like chip away and, yeah. and, and treat each one and see. Like Rachel Rubin says, we're sex yeah. detectives yeah. and ishwish, right? Because you, you actually are. have to like take each region. Yeah, and, you have to test you know, each region. Totally and have to um, do that. Musculoskeletal wise, there's so many different contributors to the pelvic floor. And I know, um, you know, region two is pelvic floor, but like I find a lot of restriction in all my patients with PGAD in their abdominal wall. And, you know, your clitoris attaches Mm -hmm. to your abdominal wall. It blends into your abdominal wall. So a lot of, and you know, the guarding that happens. So a lot of the, you know, just even the fascia within the abdominal pelvic cavity cavity that we can treat as physical therapists, um, that can relieve a lot of my patient's symptoms. And, and I like to have that area That's amazing. really clear. Um, and you know, it doesn't always have to mm-hmm. be pelvic floor. It doesn't, um, there, there could be like other muscle right? cell contributors as well. Um, but anyway, going back to, um, actual, what was the actual pathology that they found on your MRI? Yeah. So I, I did have, I had, a um, I looked over my MRI recently. It's mm-hmm. been a while and I was like, Oh, I didn't realize that's such a big disc herniation. I did mm-hmm. have a herniation, but it was the annular tear, um, that was causing that disc fluid to come out and just leak, you know, onto cotoquina. Yeah. So, um, I did, I had this, so first they set me up with an injection. Once they saw the pathology on the MRI report on, on the MRI, um, I had an injection targeted, di- it was a diagnostic mm-hmm. injection. Um, I, I had steroid in it mm-hmm. as well. Um, and that was at L4-5. So they were targeting that space for mm-hmm. the nerve root to see if indeed that was causing my mm-hmm. symptoms. And oh my goodness, I it, it, it took a couple of days for the, mm-hmm. to kick in for me because I had more of a steroid-based mm-hmm. block. Um, I don't think that's what actually Dr. Kim ordered, but that's what they gave me. That's what all the interventional, I'll tell you a story in a minute, but my husband's interventional pain and they always put a little steroid in there. Yes. Yeah. A little steroid in there. And I, and, and, and I was very appreciative. I mean, that, that is what sealed the deal for me. Like I remember, so so you're supposed to go home when it kicks in and you're supposed to do the things um, that cause you your symptoms, which can be really traumatic for my mm-hmm. patients. Like they're like, I don't mm-hmm. want to like, because they have catastrophized mm-hmm. and they're like, these, these are the things I never do mm-hmm. anymore. I don't do mm-hmm. these things. And it's like, in order to find out if you are a candidate for this surgery and like, that is where, um, we need to treat, you have to do these things, mm-hmm. right. Which can be definitely mentally challenging, um, to put yourself in those positions again. Mm-hmm. And so, we had sex Mm -hmm. and like the way that I haven't had in like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was like, we're going to do that position. Like I'm a little bit more like, uh, like research oriented in that way where I'm like, okay, now, no, we have to test it. It's time. Let's go. um, Very romantic. (laughs) Very romantic. I know. And that's sort of what happened to our sex life, to be honest. Like we just, there, there wasn't the, the intimacy was gone because it was like, I need to do this before I go to work so I can get 20 minutes of relief. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it, we, we, we did, we had, a, it was a tough time. Was it only um, intercourse that relieved it or could you have relief with masturbation or was it both? 
just intercourse? No, no. So that that's what I was talking about. Like my masturbation changed. Like I could never use a vibrator. Well, because you never clarify. It yeah, was that's too right. Okay. He said you never. A vibrator was always too yeah. painful. I always just use my hand. But now I can use vibrators. Mm-hmm. I love vibrators. I love all the sensations. Yay. I couldn't use that back then because it would <laughs> right. just, it was way too yeah. much for my nervous system. And I know some people oh, gotcha. get fine with vibrators. I was not. I was, there's no way that was coming near me. But I did mm-hmm. actually, one of the things that relieved my symptoms, um, and I'm letting you know in case this helps other people, but if I had any rectal, like rectal work always helped me, but also mm-hmm. if I had, if I put in like a rectal dilator, butt plug, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, we're going to get into it. But yeah. when I used that, yeah. that was one of my yeah. ways where I would get relief. If I put one in my butt, oh. I think it would slacken uh-huh. my vagina and actually like slacken yes. the nerves. And and I could get just like that makes sense like seventy five percent relief and I was like great like but obviously you can't mm. live like that like that was like twenty minutes of my day mm. and I get you know but like I would do little things to kind of get me through but that was a big one yeah so so then and so it was basically we think the L four L five annular tear not not even anything below nothing no, in the sacrum no, no Tarlov cyst anything like that yeah so it was actually I had no Tarlov cyst. I mean, I do, do you remember the injury that caused it? From I was nineteen. Um, I was playing soccer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This I I actually was having sex, and it was a sex injury. <laughs> so, oh, <it> was. <laughs> but I was playing soccer <laughs> at the same time. I was doing something like a like Kama that. Sutra, like backbend position. Oh, nice. Sorry, oh, nice. um, for the viewers. Sorry, husband. Yeah. Um, this was before him. Uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was doing something and um, uh, I remember being like, ow, I, like, I strained my back. And I remember my teammates were like, hi, you have a sex injury. Like, cause I, like, I remember I couldn't run. I couldn't run in practice. Yeah. I like, I had to get, yeah. you know, therapy on my back. Like, I think that, I, oh. I, but I already had back pain before that. Like, I think that just like sure. tipped it over. You are just exacerbated. Point. That tipped me over right. the edge yes. and I had mm-hmm. a real injury. I didn't have leg pain then. I did have weakness in my leg later yeah. on when things had progressed and I was like really yeah. neural. Like, I mean, everything yeah. was neural. I had a positive straight leg raise. I had yeah. positive slump tests, all these like orthopedic screening tests for spinal disc dysfunction. I had all of them. Um, I was like right. a clear disc case by the end. There was no yeah. question yeah. that my spine ha- like was discal. It was just like, how is this causing issues in your pelvis? And that's why I, I couldn't tell anyone and I would lie. I'd be like, my back pain. Oh, my back pain. And it wasn't right. until I went into that therapist where I needed to. She's like, why do you need a pelvic MRI? You don't have, <laughs> oh, well, I do have pelvic things. Well, that's not, you know, and that was that whole circle of yeah. things. It was the pelvic MRI that I, I couldn't keep it from anyone anymore. <laughs> right, right. I had right. to spill. Right. I had to tell. And, um, and it was what I expected, but I was prepared for it because I was like, I don't care anymore. I don't care if you're going right. crazy. I don't that care. That was one of your tips. I, I just, I need this done because I have a team now behind me that's going to figure it out. And right. I don't care what you say. I'm, I'm going to, yeah. this is, I, I didn't say that to them, but that was the mentality. In my but head. that's how you felt. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I wanted, thank you so much. I wanted that MRI. I wanted to, you know, make them want me to right. have it, but um, they really help. They hold the power. They, they have the power. Right. I don't have the power. Yes. And I think this is the one of the frustrating things as as we as clinicians face, right, is that when you're dealing with issues around sex and around sexual pain and genital pain, 
it's never clear. Like insurances sometimes don't clear it, right? Yeah. The MRI is not. Oh, that's not a that's not a straightforward reason to get an MRI. Like this happens to my patients yeah. all the time when I order for PGAD. I'm like, okay, the major thing is PGAD, but can I say anything else? So then I'm like, yeah. I, you know, just as a side story, you know, yeah. I'm my husband's an interventional pain doctor, so he's taught he taught me spine once we started. He started his practice in 2012. I started mine in 2014. He's like, let me teach you a little spine because if you have patients that can benefit from me, then you can refer to me and vice versa. So I was like the only gynecologist in town that would like ask about the spine all the Mm -hmm. time because we were both trying to build our practices. And it was at one point within the first two years that we were married, like I was like, I have this patient with all these weird pelvic pain, but she also has like, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit of sciatic stuff. And so do you think if you treated her this, it would help that? He goes, well, let's try. Ah. And so we would go through and do some of that actually. And so that's why like I always like, you know, was like, oh, the spine is... And then I would see it at IPPS. Eventually, like some interventional pain doctors started right. coming. And I thought that was very right. interesting that this the connection between the spine and the pelvis became real. Mm-hmm. But my point really is that, okay, we have people that believe in this, mm-hmm. right? And that they're able to do it. But insurances sometimes don't buy into it. So it's out-of-pocket cost for patients. And then if you do find somebody that's willing to do the injection, right? Like I can just send my patients to mm-hmm. him and he'll inject them. The next roadblock that we find, at least in this area, is like, what surgeon's going to do that procedure because you have sexual stuff happening, right? Right, right. This is the big mm-hmm. uh, inhibitor. I mean, you, you're lucky that you were in this um, San Diego Sexual Medicine Center where they were studying it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I've had to send my patients to like Texas and other places that, you know, oh, this patient had a very big Tarlov cyst. I mm-hmm. diagnosed because she had all this vulvar stuff. Yeah. She ended up in Texas. Yeah, there's you a know, specialist like, in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. So, I mean, I... I definitely now, like, I mean, I, I always screen the spine anyway, and I think most right. PTs should be treating the spine because it affects the pelvis, but I, I, it's definitely right. changed. Like, I'll have someone come in who, I had a male um, that comes to mind who had, had been having pedental, like, symptoms for years and and some sexual, uh, some other sexual functions um, issues, and he was getting like cortisone injections all the time in his back and, and, but he was doing all the things that would make a back injury worse. And so I actually just said, mm-hmm. we're going to treat your back. Like, so, so I'll, I'll have someone come mm-hmm. in and the way I change maybe how I'm going to do my treatment, you know, you go like proximal to distal sometimes. And so I'll mm-hmm. say, well, we're mm-hmm. just going to, we're just going to do, I'm going to treat you like a back patient today. And his symptoms went down. So, mm-hmm. so we, we treat people with disc injuries all the time. And, and I think, yeah. um, we don't make the it's connection. really an appropriate right? place for us. And I mean, I think the question yeah. comes to by the time someone is suffering so bad and they're going to get, when they figure out it's their back, you know, how much can PT help at that point? And that's sort of like what yeah. we don't know. Like I have one person who, who at one point, like she had lichens, she had vestibulodynia, GSM, all the different contributors as well as a spinal issue. And she did a positive neurogenital testing. She didn't want to do a surgery she actually did okay just with PT, um, but, but that's what she wanted. She was like, like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't. We we got it in time. We got it in time. Right. And 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 I Before, um, there's yeah. nothing wrong with having a surgery. Like if that's it's more invasive, but it's done so well. I mean, it's it's right. You know, I wanted the right hands, there was right. no. I'd been doing PT for years. There there I was not going to get better with PT. You know, there has to be that right. point where it's like this isn't this isn't enough or this isn't working mm-hmm. and. Um, I think most of the people that do get the surgery, um, just they're 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 at that point, or, or they haven't even had their back treated because they've just been someone's been chasing their pelvic symptoms and they haven't even had their back mm-hmm. treated. 
or assessed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell us now. So you had the surgery, and then how did it go after? So okay, the block worked, right? The block. So worked. then you the decided let's was, go. But the block was blew my mind because I remember mm-hmm. walking around and being like, I my leg. Like, I, I've had just constant symptoms for so long, Throbbing and I life. felt like There's my leg was like floating. It was like like there was nothing. Um, talk about identity because you you sort of live with something like it's part yeah. of you. Even though you don't want uh-huh. it to be part of you, it is part of you. It's yeah. sort of part of your story and then it isn't anymore. Yeah. And it's yeah. really strange. Like I'm like, I'm so glad it's gone. And there's that little piece that's like, what, what, what is, it's wild. It's wild well, you, you don't have it. Because you don't remember what it's like without it, right? Yeah. That's what my yeah. patients always and, say. Like, you know, and, and you wonder like, that's probably how the brain gets activated. And some patients that get yeah. that phantom leg, phantom yeah. leg syndrome and all these centralized pain syndromes. It's fascinating. Right. Um, and so mm-hmm. two days later, gone. It did not last more than Amazing. two days. And I mean, I oh, think okay. it just leaks out. I think I have that hair. Yeah. It just leaks out. And and yeah. and I was like, sign me up. When can I get in? Yes. So I had my surgery May 17th of 2017. And, okay. you know, it's a small, the, the one that Dr. Kim does, told Kim, it's a minimally invasive and it's through an endoscope. And that's also why they target what side, because he's going to go in through the lateral foramen. And he's going to, instead of having that discectomy scar in your back where they actually have to cut through the muscle, he can bypass mm-hmm. the muscle and just go through your vertebra. They, they clean that out mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. uses a laser to um, repair the disc. And so mm-hmm. I was particularly, um, I'd say from the way I would describe it as neural, like I, I, I had neural symptoms for very long. So soon after mm-hmm. the surgery, um, like right away after I was like, Oh boy, like I had surgery where some people wake up and they're like, I feel great. It's, it's almost like having, um, you know, that the shoulder surgeries that are done so well now, they, they have like barely, mm-hmm. you know, no restriction. Any- I, I really had All to right. restrict myself just because, um, my pathway was was very neural. But one of the things yeah. I always tell people when I do a consult them with them for surgery, um, and so this gave me um, sort of peace of mind. Like I knew it worked. I knew it worked right yeah. away because yeah. thing was different. Okay, so yeah, m- the the many many symptoms I had, there were less of them. It was reduced. I just had what felt like. I can only imagine like a gunshot to the back because because mm-hmm. everything was centralizing. Okay. So yeah. physical therapy yeah. and ortho PT, we talk about peripheralization and centralization. So mm-hmm. if your disc, you know, is is getting your your symptoms are getting worse, the pain's gonna start to go to your extremities. Your symptoms are gonna go right. down. And it's we, like the nerves, the nerves talk to each other, right? right? And, so and they're so talking to each other at each yeah. organs talk to each other. Yeah, yeah, you can think of it as like you know, that the same thing as having pain on your leg. I happen to have both, mm-hmm. right? But it's, if mm-hmm. your neural symptoms are getting worse, coming down to the extremities or going into your genitals, you need to back off. When they're going yeah. into, when it's worse in your spine, that's a good sign. Your back pain's worse, yeah. great. Yeah. Less in your genitals, yes. it's more in your back, that's a good sign. Yeah. So I was yeah. really um, careful with um, and movement's good, but I was very, like, I knew my body at that point, like what makes mm-hmm. me better, what makes me worse. I knew how to move. I knew how to transfer. I knew how to use my breath so that I wasn't like 
bearing down on your disc, like coughing, sneezing, mm-hmm. you know, all the things that would make you feel more discal and just irritate your nerves more. And so I was really um, just getting out of bed, just all the things. I walked every day, but I knew how not, I knew how to pace myself. And um, sure. that again is something like when I when I work with their patients, um, even from out of state, I can just do a consult. I can I can, you know, just give some education and really try to um, set them up with a good physical therapist in their area that can ortho and pelvic because I have an issue with people. Oh, well, it's my back. I'm just going to go to back PT. Well, you're not going to tell them you have PGAD. You're not going to tell them. Yeah. Like, how do they know <laughs> yeah. if you're getting yeah. better? You're making your functional goals as a physical therapist. Um, this uh-huh. person has back pain. Like, you're not going to say, oh, they're going to be able to have sex again. They're going to be able to have an orgasm right. again. They're going to not right. have pain into their genitals. Like you have to be able to talk to your physical therapist to make appropriate goals. And also mm-hmm. having PGAD is like, it's traumatic, right? Just like yes. having pain is yes. traumatic, but there's something yep. about having the arousal component. It depends on the person, but it can feel like you're being raped all the time, like constantly violated, yeah. constantly yeah. just, you didn't ask for this. These are unvoluntary. This is not a sensation. You're not I thinking want. about sex, right? There's nothing yeah, pleasurable exactly. about it. You feel like you're being punished. You feel like it's grueling. It's You're in agony. Like, how are you going to go to a spine a sports spine PT and tell them these things? I don't even know if they're familiar with how the, the nerves Absolutely. into the genitals. They, I mean, I wasn't until I studied it, until I went right. into pelvic health. So we need pelvic health therapists to be really good at ortho, really good at spine rehab, and be able to do both. And I mm-hmm. try to be that liaison with education. Um, I always offer, like, if I do a consult with someone, like, I help them find a PT. I give them a few options. I try to find them in their area. I go through my network. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. And then we usually have conversations and like, I don't charge them. Like I just talk. I mean, I charge for the consult because there's a little bit of extra work and time, but I do, you know, I will, I will be open to work with that PT at any point and just be part of that journey with them so that they can just, I really just want the best outcome because the surgery works. If you're a good candidate and they really screen you to be, if you're a good candidate, I feel like surgery works. It's just sometimes, you know, the way the brain works with pain and I'm not saying people mess up their surgery or anything, but, but it's just, we need the brain to know it's safe and it's okay. And if like you're constantly aggravating things and making things more inflamed, it's going to feel like it didn't work. If you're going back to some activities too soon, um, it's not like the tissue. Uh, these are people that have had that whole nerve pathway has been inflamed sometimes for a long time. A lot of right. um, compensation takes place. Motor patterns change. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't rotate my right. hip in, in. Like I didn't internally rotate my hip because it would just send it. And that may not make sense yeah. to someone. Why does yeah. hip internal rotation affect your genitals? I had a spine doctor say that to me. They're like, and I'm like, well, your your sacral. Your, your sciatic nerve goes right through your hip rotators. Yeah. Your pedantal nerve yeah. passes yeah. right through there. And yeah, when I turn yes. my hip, it gets tugged. It's like- It makes it worse. All the way yeah. down and it gets tugged. So even just- Yeah. Um, like this is something that, um, you know, you can't give someone necessarily a piriformis stretch with this. It's going to flare mm-hmm. them. So- Right. Um, yeah. So I, I, that's sort of where I think having this- and being who I am, 
I want to help people. I want to, this is like sort of, I mean, this is one of my purposes in life. This is the, I, I had yes. this thing that is absolutely terrible and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Um, and I can do something with this and I, I'd like to do more. I need to, you know, get myself out there a little bit more. And because, um, I do have, of course, I, I have my own ways of, um, how I think people with PCAD, um, should be treated and gone about, but it is, it is like you, you need someone who's trauma informed to work with you all the way through surgery. Surgery can be like the big missing piece of the right, puzzle, right. but it's the, it's kind of like when we do the stibulectomies for like congenital neuroproliferative or whatever, like you think, okay, I've removed the inciting factor, but now you have vaginismus yeah. and now you have this because your, your, your response is that this is going to hurt. Mm -hmm. And so you have to retrain yes. everything. And so it's that retraining that's yeah. so important too, because otherwise you think this is a failed surgery, which it's not. Um, but you have to do the rehab and the prehab right. are just as important. It's not failed. and. And yeah, mm -hmm. no, the prehab is really important. That is one thing I'd like to figure out a little bit more. Um, like I would love if we could get someone who's going to have surgery set up with a PT even a month before, not under the, you know, pretense of like, oh, they're not going to have surgery. No, like let's do some prehab and let's figure out your body before so Absolutely. you can see after. It's also really fun to see the before and after. It's so cool. Like, <laughs> like for instance, for me, like when I could turn my hip again, like I, it changed how I walked. I had so many compensatory yeah. strategies to do things and like aches and yeah. pains and all these places. And even through my leg, I, I did have true radiculopathy. And like for years I couldn't planner flex, like if this were my ankle, I couldn't do mm -hmm. this or this. I, I didn't have drop foot. I could planner flex, but I was making up for it with right. other muscles in my body. And I always yeah. had like spasms and cramps and, and all of a sudden two weeks out of surgery, no, I could down. do this motion. Yeah. It freed my nerve. So it, it was just, I had orthotics for like 20 years. Amazing. I didn't need them anymore because my foot actually started to pronate. Like all these little things that if you can get, if you can, if your physical therapist can assess you before, and I'm not talking like even like internal pelvic floor, whatever, yeah. I'm talking muscular, like it doesn't have to be internal and, and internal work does have its place and it is important depending what's going on. But I think just so listeners know, like if you have PGAD and I, I think a lot of women are afraid to go to physical therapy because they assume like, oh, I don't want to have an internal exam or what if I have an orgasm or what if, what if I have a worse episode or what if I flare? Ideally, you know, there's always informed consent, but I, I want them to know, I mean, there's always informed consent, but like none of these mm -hmm. things are have tos, right? So we have a menu of things mm -hmm. we can do the first day and it doesn't have right. to be a pelvic right. exam. And, you know, even if someone's like, oh yeah, I consent to that, like just do it. Uh, but, you know, like their body language is telling you otherwise, like that is not appropriate. Like we don't do pelvic exams. Just to do them. Like, I, I very yeah. rarely do a pelvic floor exam the yeah. first day or like, I'm going to be like, I'm going to look no. at your clitoris. They don't want you yes, anywhere near exactly. their clitoris. They're not yeah. comfortable with yeah. that. And that's okay. Cause this is the thing you can flare from many different contributors, mm -hmm. right? You can think about mm -hmm. flaring and flare. You can be anxious about going to PT and flare. 
no one can touch you yeah. and you can flare. So you don't want, you want to establish that therapeutic relationship of trust and like, we're going to go slow. We're going to check these things out. What can we do from the outside today? There are so many things mm-hmm. we can do externally that don't yeah. involve your pelvic floor that can have a relationship yeah. on your nervous system, on your pelvic floor. So like, you can start anywhere, but your PT really should be like your ally, like yes. your investigator, mm-hmm. right? Like your detective. And it's a team, Approach. it's a team yep. effort to figure things out. Like you might have triggers that mm-hmm. you don't that make even your anxiety know you have. worse or getting or treated your anxiety, all these things. So that's why sex med is yeah. biopsychosocial. Or even just like mm-hmm. mechanical, biopsychosocial, yeah. even just mechanical, like you're doing certain activities. Okay. So like a lot of people, they're, uh, with PGAD, their main way they manage yeah. is distraction. So think about you're basically going out of your body. You you are distracting yeah. yourself with all these things so that you can make yeah. it, you can survive the day. And it's such a catch-22 because we want to bring you in your body. We want you present. But at the same time, your body is mm-hmm. not a safe place so to interesting, be. Right? So it's really... Yeah. It's really challenging and um and but but we need they need to be aware of like right. this thing makes right. me worse. And yeah. you may not know it makes them worse. So if we can pick up on these, you know, mechanical assessments, screen for spine, screen for neural tension, you know, like you said before, it's not cookie cutter mm-hmm. medicine, it's not cookie cutter physical therapy. And figuring that out gives you tools Absolutely. to reduce symptoms. So even if you're not going to be fixed by physical therapy, right. you may not be, you know, usually right. it's a lot of things at once that there's a lot yep. of um, things that need to be treated, but it may, it's same with pedental neuralgia. I mean, you could have PGAP yes. because you also have pedental neuralgia. We need to, you need to figure that out for yourself. And it's very individual, which is why like, when I see people being like, do this stretch no, for PGAT, yeah, I'm like, come can't. on. It's not like, cookie cutter. Like, yeah. like that's not yeah. okay. It's not yeah. okay. And 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 so I want people suffering with this to know that like your PT is both and if you're you don't get a good vibe from your PT, that's not your PT. Find like, another one. Yeah. It's you you gotta have that and not not every person is for every person. Um Mm-hmm. And you should never Same give with me- your sex med doctor, your clinician, Everything. your psychologist, your sex therapist, your hairdresser. whoever's helping. Your hairdresser. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> anyone. Yeah. Anyone. Yeah. And, and um and and so, you know, recreating like getting those motor patterns back post op is really important. And I think, like you said, the prehab, like I love that you said prehab, because we get prehab for ACL surgery, we get prehab, mm-hmm. you get prehab for back surgery. Most people that go in for back mm-hmm. surgery, they've failed, a, or I hate the word fail, but like they did their course of physical therapy. It wasn't yes. enough. They needed surgery. Yes. So it's like surgery yes. is the, usually the last resort. And I right. think sometimes these patients with PGAD, they've just been through hell and back. It's like, do it, right. get it done, especially if the injection yeah. works. But it, it can be challenging working with them in post-op because mm-hmm. they they haven't had that figuring out phase really hasn't mm-hmm. been established for them. Right. So, right. yeah. 
Well, April is um, a definite amazing um, physical therapist, and she is a, a, a fierce advocate for PGAD as she has struggled, you know, um, for so many years with it and is now PGAD free, which is the the um, beautiful part of the story is that she is free of these symptoms. As many of uh, you, if you have suffered from this, you can also um, get there. You just, you know, the right team has to be involved and, and you have to advocate for yourself. So hopefully this um, episode gave you a little bit of education so that you can advocate. I think that there's so much information more now that we have out there compared to that it yeah that I mean I don't know what I would have done differently because I don't think I could have handled the gaslighting Mm -hmm. but I I feel bad even saying that because there are women that have are much older than me that had suffered for longer and it's just really really sad and but there there is stuff now there right. there's there's literate there's studies there's tons it's it's happening. it's happening i mean not tons but much more than when you suffered in the past and you can arm yourself with those things and if they don't want to listen to you it's not on you it's not you and and so um and april is a big advocate she is um look she has her own practice again at whole body pt um she has her own practice in los angeles uh, I'm going to put in the description how you can, you know, get in touch with her if you need to see her for consultation or other things. Um, if you are, what, you want to repeat your website for us? You can reach me through my website. Okay. Oh, it's um, wholebodyla.com. One word. Yeah. Yeah. W-H-O-L-E-B-O-D-Y-L-A.com. And yeah, you can just uh, send me a message through there and I'll I'll get back to you in a day or two at the most. I mean, usually I get back right away mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and we can do, um, I, right. I offer a 10 minute free con- just phone call anyway, even before I take someone on as a patient. Right. So I'm happy to do a call with you too. It's just, I have to kind of keep it at the 10 minute mark. If we want to do something longer, I do um, charge a consult fee. And also www.isswsh.org is the the Ishwish organization website, uh, the patient-facing website for Ishwish's ProSala, P-R-O-S-A-Y-L-A. And uh, more information on PGAD, I think uh, the main organization that deals with it um, is Ishwish. So, well, thank you again, April. I mean, your story is so compelling. The work that you do is so compelling. I do believe that, you know, um, that I... I do, I do have a feeling that God gives us things that, you know, we can handle so that we can further, you know, benefit others. And I, I do feel like your suffering was not for nothing because you've made such a difference in so many people's lives at way. this point. Yeah. And hopefully people listening will, you know, reach out to you or, you know, get some bits of information they can take back to their clinician, whoever's taking care of them. But I appreciate everything that you do. Thank you so much, Samina. Likewise, and really, it's an honor. Thank, thank you for reaching out, and um, I'm so happy I got to share. Yeah, I'm going to have you on again so we can just talk about some general PT stuff, fantastic, and everything that, yeah. um, you know, how you treat, you know, maybe. But I feel like you know we 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 wanted to touch the, on the mm-hmm. story of of PGAD today, but once we get going with the podcast, I'll have you thank on. Thank you. Again. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. All right, hon. Thanks Bye. again. I appreciate. If you have a second, please subscribe to this podcast. I'd love for you to be a follower and learn as much as you can about the things that we're going to talk about with all the people on our journey. Please review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. These reviews really help. Review us, comment, tell me what else you want to hear to get more information. My practice website is www.cgcchicago.com. My website 
for Gyno Girl is www.gynogirltv.com. My Instagram is Gyno Girl, so please follow me for some good content. Additionally, I have a YouTube channel, Gyno Girl TV, where I love to talk about all these things on YouTube. And please subscribe to my newsletter, Gyno Girl News, which will be available on my website. I will see you next time.